Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 135. Today we are kicking off our 2023 Summer Book Club series by discussing chapters 1 and 2 of Realizing Diversity and equity framework for music education by Dr. Karen Howard. We'll also play a fun summer game. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite summertime things we are enjoying out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it is time for a fun summer game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is uh, our type of fun, to be clear. Yeah, okay. Um, I apologize for any non-musicians listening. Why would they be listening You'd to be us? turning it off by now. But anyway, <laughs> so in lieu of all of our other regular segments, since we are not in school, um, we have traditionally replaced those segments with a su- fun summer game. And we've done quizzes, mostly from Bud- BuzzFeed in the past. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this summer, well, one of the... Th- things we're going to do is um uh this su- fun summer audiation challenge what? so woo-hoo. uh and i was telling carrie that this is something i've been doing recently just because i don't know just to amuse myself um and the idea is to audiate a song means you're hearing it in your head through no outside of your head prompting right mm-hmm. so it's um hearing You know, not just the singing, but hearing the whole song in your head. And the challenge part is, if me or Carrie were to audiate a song, hear a song in our head, and then sing it, would we be in the correct key? Right. And I am not always successful in this. And it's fascinating. I mean, for me. I don't know. And uh, it's just a fun little little game. And Carrie was concerned because what if we're... I might get it wrong. That's okay. See, this is us... Here's an example of some failure, right? So we, we do not have perfect pitch. Oh, no. Because if we did, that'd be cheating. No, no, no. But I, I would say I have pretty good relative pitch. I, I well, I like to but say we'll I see. think I have pretty good relative pitch. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so the one rule for this is uh, this cannot be a song that you have listened to out loud in the last week. Okay. And of course, it has to be a song that you know really well. I'm not going to well, like sure. pull something out of a hat and say, hey, audiate this song that you barely know. Of course, it has to be a song that you pro- probably know and love really So I get to pick well. my own song. You get to pick the song. It just can't have been heard out loud by you in the last week, to be fair. Okay. Right? Because then... if you've heard, if like me, you've been playing Tina Turner tunes and Harry Belafonte tunes a lot because of the recent passing of those two artists. Sure. That would not be fair because it's it's been in there recently. Okay. Okay, so. And then you're going to, like, pull it up on Spotify and play a clip and see yes. if I get it right? Mm-hmm. And we've looked it up, and we are allowed to play 30 seconds, 30 seconds <laughs> of a song before, you know, we get into big trouble and they shut us down, right? Yeah. Because everyone's listening to shut us down, right? Right, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, Carrie, what is your chosen song? <laughs> um, I'm going to try Cornflake Girl by Tori Amos. Oh, wait, I've got it in my head, too. All right, let's see where you are. Okay, now I'm nervous. Never was a cornflake girl. Thought there was a good solution. Hiding with the raisin girl. So, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. 
There you go. <laughs> All right, let's see if that's right. I think you're too low, but you're probably, I don't know. Oh, is it oh. happening? Is it happening? Too oh. much silence. Maybe your Wi-Fi is not working because oh. you're in my house. I'll try to find it on my phone. I think it's because I'm connected to my speaker out in my car. <laughs> nope, it's not connected. Oh, you're too low, a little bit, just a little bit. <sighs> wow, see, I was close though. Yeah, you were very close. So was I, like, a half half step too low? Yeah. Not bad. And I was just saying, before we played the game, off mic, that I haven't sung in, like, a week. Yeah. So if I haven't sung in a week, then I'm generally going to sing and hear things a little bit lower. Yeah, but I know singing, that's are. naturally occurring when, yeah. you know. But no, but, my audiation goes lower, audiation. too. But your audiation. Why would are that be going lower? Because it is. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. See, that's a lame that's excuse. Amazing. Not bad. Not bad. Know. Yeah. All right, Tanya, what's your song going to be? Um, well, I'm just reaching back. I, I have chosen Black Hole Sun. Ah, see, I was afraid to do anything with a male singer because I was afraid that would mess me up. Could be, but I sing this at full blast when it comes on, so I know it's okay. in my range. I'm hearing it in my head, too. Okay. All right, go ahead. I got this. In my eyes, indisposed, in disguises no one knows. Hides the face, lies the snake, and the sun in my disgrace. So keep on going. Mm. Black hole sun, won't you come and wash away the rain? rain. Black hole <laughs> sun, won't you come, won't you come? There's our black. <laughs> All right, you were also just wow. tiny bit low. Not much, though. See, we need to research why this happens. <laughs> you were pretty darn close. That's so interesting. I wonder why we're hearing it lower. Hmm. See, now... You were awfully close, If though. we were not in the digital age, we could blame turntables and tape decks This is true. We're used to hearing it analog. <laughs> No, I'm our never. brain works in analog. No, no. Well, we've also completely dated ourselves with our music choices because oh, these are that's like nothing. I was going to reach way back. Early no. '90s, mid '90s. I never listened to Black Hole Sun on a tape deck or a record. No, no. Yeah. Okay, that was good that times. Was All right, we challenge you, listener. Can you do it as well? Yeah. And are you also a half step low? Because <laughs> that's where we are today. Pretty much half step to a quarter step, somewhere in there. Yeah. Good times, Tanya. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And now for our main theme, and we are kicking off our 2023 Summer Book Club by re reading Realizing Diversity and Equity Framework for Music Education by Dr. Karen Howard. We are very excited to dig into this book. We yes. so appreciate uh, Karen Howard's work in this area, all of her work, her workshops, her 
articles that she's written, everything she does, yes. has been fantastic. So we know this book is going to be an excellent choice for us, and we hope that you are reading along with us. If you are not, then go ahead and pause and <laughs> go buy the book and read. <laughs> Come um, back, yeah. You know, and just to, to state kind of the purpose of this summer book club, to, to be quite honest, is it's really more for us than it is for you. Well. <laughs> Meaning that we love yeah. to hold each other accountable for reading over the summer. Um, but really, that we're not going to sit here and obviously read the book word for word, and nothing that we're going to do in this book club that we so lovingly call it is going to ever take the place of reading the book. So we hope that you're not listening to this podcast instead of reading the book. No, we you're hope not that you are get reading. Like, yeah, as no. much reading with that. us, and then you know what we try to do is just talk about things that stick out and ways to apply what we're reading to, especially in our world, an elementary music classroom. Yeah, but you might be. Um, listener thinking about how to apply it to your situation if it's different than ours so anyways just setting it up um and today we are specifically talking about chapters one and two yes and in chapters one and two we kind of get the groundwork for what this book is covering and especially some historical um, landmarks and how it relates to music education and some real pivotal moments in education um yeah, there's there's so much here that you could just splinter off and really get more educated by any one of the things. And I'm thinking specifically about in Chapter 2, um, which is called The Long Road to a Diver- Diverse Music Education. Uh, but let's back up and go back to sure. Chapter 1, where we're just laying the groundwork about a anti-bias framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what, what Karen Howard is using is um, the Southern Poverty Law Center's framework for um, anti-bias framework. And there are four main areas, identity, diversity, justice, and action. And these are specifically going to be chapters four through eight later in the book. Yes. So um, what she has done is just given us um, just that framework and some of the the goals or standards or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Standards. They, they are referred to as standards. Yes. Um, and b- broken down by substandards within that so that later on when we're reading, we'll know how to apply those to music specifically. Yeah. And if I could even back up even a little bit more. Oh, yeah. When we're talking about the why we all need to reframe and look at music education, not just in our country, but in all countries. Um, I want to quote from page 18, mm-hmm. where uh, it's noted in earlier work, Jorgensen, um, that's Estelle Jorgensen, noted that critics who argue that music education should, should focus on music rather than incorporate tenets of social justice miss the ensuing separation of music from the rest of life. Instead, it is the opposite that holds true. Music is intimately linked with ritual, myth, rite, painting, dance, drama, and religion among a range of activities in which it has a special place. And I that stood out to me mostly because when I see a lot of pushback about the idea of making sure our music education uh, materials are diverse and that our understanding of ways students and people from different cultures learn whenever I I see people in oh I don't know let's say Facebook groups push back and say I'm here to teach music and stay in my lane and I'm not getting political about it and anyone who is is not 
you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I think, you know, the reason that we value music as something that should be taught in schools is because it is connected to culture. And Mm -hmm. we've said this over and over again. Um, But that's part of the big why is that, you know, music is worth studying alongside of all these things because it is interwoven in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about being political, although we've said it so many times that teaching is political in that it's it's so intertwined with everything that's going on in the world. It should be intertwined with everything that's going on in the world. And that doesn't mean that you have to push a specific agenda, um, one side or the other. Um, that's, that's not our place. It's our place to expose our students to the world through many different medium, music being the main one that we use. And yeah, I mean, music for music's sake doesn't necessarily exist. It's, it's always intertwined with communicating or feeling or like you said ritual religion all these types of things so to say that I just teach music is it's an inaccurate statement because music doesn't exist without a purpose of course yeah yeah um and then at the end of chapter one and we when we get into this anti-biased framework and we talk about identity diversity uh justice and action Carrie how do you think your school community I know I'm just pulling this out mm. surprise um, <laughs> how do you think your school community reckons with let's say um, let's just go to identity so I'm looking at these five tenants students will develop positive social identities based on their membership in multiple groups in society. Mm-hmm. Students will develop language and historical cultural knowledge that are firm and accurately describe their membership in multiple identity groups, and so on and so forth. What do you think? Do you think your community is is well-grounded in who they are as a school community? Yes and no. <laughs> That's such an awful answer. Um I wouldn't say that my school really digs into the idea of multiple groups or identity groups um, as far as race or culture goes. What my school really digs into is leadership skills. So there's a program that our school uses called Leader in Me. And it uses kind of like those seven habits of... Highly effective people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And puts them in kid-friendly language and kid-friendly situations. And so my school is very much big on um, making sure students identify as a leader within their community. Um, But as far as specifically about culture, no. Um, My school is a predominantly white school, and I think that... Many, and I've only been there a year, so I, I'm trying to still kind of figure out what the culture is within that. But I think that my school is a school that doesn't want to go there. You know what I mean? I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking specifically at the fifth point under identity. Mm-hmm. Students will recognize traits of the dominant culture, their home culture, and other cultures, and understand how they negotiate their own identity in multiple states spaces it's the multiple spaces thing there's not multiple spaces I think in my generally I mean I don't know you know everybody's day yeah every kid's day-to-day well I mean I do as far as their their school goes but their school they are the dominant culture Mm -hmm. like mostly Mm -hmm. and 
the multiple spaces part I just don't see happening. No. Now, I will say that in our district, in third grade, they do something called Day in Denver. It's a field trip where they pack up all the kids on the bus and they take them downtown and they look at specific, um, you know, cultural. My school didn't do this. You don't do Day in Denver? No. Never heard of this. Really? Neither of my schools have done this. I don't think this is a district-wide thing, but keep going. Oh, my goodness. Really? Okay. okay. No. So they did it at my other school. Okay. Forever. And I went on the field trip with my son and my daughter. Okay. And they do it at my new school. Hmm. Yeah. Day in Denver, and they take them downtown, and, and they just kind of, you know, here's here's the um, courthouse, and here, what, look for this. They They break up into small little groups, and they have, like, kind of a... Um, like, like they have a map and they have to go and find these things and oh, they have cool. to like note something specific about okay here's Civic Park and make sure you see such and such statue and what do you see in the hand of so and so on you know statue huh. that kind of thing yeah and well I mean living in Denver it's not it, my children <laughs> we were to Dave in Denver and my own children are like what I've been here all the time what's the big deal right but it is kind of a cultural um just different for uh, some of the students mm-hmm. and especially recently we have a growing homeless population mm-hmm. in Denver mm-hmm. and so it, it's it's kind of a it's it's different it's they're noticeable. not in the same space they're in a different space yeah and it's not that different but it's different enough and I, I, I mean anyway back to the whole multiple spaces idea um how do you provide for that when they are really in their own space, which happens to be the dominant culture? Right. And there are some times in um, Chapter 2 she specifically talks about, now that doesn't mean that a school that is predominantly white can't also identify as a culture and identify that being their own culture. You know, so because I think that's something that I've, you know, kind of, mistakenly joked about in the past is like well what is my students culture their culture is you know suburban white middle class America you know right. and you know but what does that mean that still means something of course is, it does so I think that's the hard part you know having taught especially where I taught for so long in predominantly Hispanic schools and not you know suburb well suburban like urban suburban mm-hmm. <laughs> not suburban in the way that I think of the suburban that I'm in now I, I wasn't in a quote inner city school by any means but still like it's just it's very different and I'm still trying to figure out you know when I read books like this and when I engage in these kind of conversations with my current student population I'm still tongue-tied I'm still trying to figure out what it means yeah know? Well, yeah, and if we jump to diversity, and one of the first things mentioned there, students will express comfort with people who are both similar to and different from them and engage respectfully with all people. Now, we're not necessarily bringing in engaging with those people in real time, but what happens when you put on a video of a performance of a group from Ghana and they're dancing traditionally, like... Yeah, and how much I mean, laughing is happy not happening? Not much. And... Not much. Okay. So in that part, I am appreciative. I do feel like my students get a broad range of experiences as far as like music and culture, and I feel like we're a very 
open community as far as yeah there's not laughing so much I mean you know there's always that kind of like oh this is different. I'm uncomfortable giggle. so I yeah eat this with that but thing. I have not heard like explicitly harmful things coming from students when it comes to that or like a mocking kind of situation um yeah so I have felt lucky and that could also be just because of the music teacher before me that they might have had plenty of experiences listening to and seeing diverse music or just diverse experiences um these are kids who do go on a lot of vacations and go in a lot of different places outside of our school community so I think traveling does help as well I I agree but but yes but do you also notice (laughs) yes and do you notice that there are certain cultures that they've engaged with more because those are the generally um I don't know how to say it like many of my students have gone to Europe Mm mm-hmm or even Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And when faced with music from there or videos of people performing from there, no big deal. Yeah. But if you bring in, um, you know, music from Egypt. Right. That would be more Because it's different. more foreign yeah. to them. Totally. And I don't know how many of my students have been to, I don't know, there, there are some places that uh, kids go to over and over again, I've noticed, sure. like Europe. Right. Yeah. And then some places that kids never travel to. Yeah. 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 Just in general, though, I do feel like my students have been open to to listening and yeah. to. Um, but like you said, it's not in real time. It's definitely more of that. You know, when we talk about the windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors, it's definitely that window into a different culture. We're not always going into the sliding glass door realm where we're actually experiencing the music. Sometimes we're just listening to it or watching it if it's a video. And um, I haven't had to tell my kids to stop giggling as much as maybe I thought I might. So Yeah, that's a I good haven't thing. as much, but it is definitely more than my last school, I will say. Hmm, okay. Um, also looking in the section of diversity on page 21, students will examine diversity in social, cultural, political, and historical contexts rather than in ways that are superficial or oversimplified. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm guilty. Well, this is, yeah, this but, is where it's and then I'm not, okay, hard for us. I'm guilty, and some of the reasons why is I'm not, I don't know what's developmentally appropriate mm-hmm. for specific age groups within the elementary school range. Yeah. And I will also admit there is a little part of me that's, nervous about pushback yeah from community and from parents yep 100 percent. that has been i mean i think i've mentioned that on this podcast that's been in the back of my mind more this year than it ever has been is am i going to get pushback for this i mean think about amanda gorman's just recent news um getting her her poem being um uh, they they our, her book, her book of poetry, her specific poem that was read in school, help me out. Where was this? Are you talking about the inauguration poem? N- no, not the inaugura- inauguration poem, but she had a poem that was read in school and one parent complained, oh. and now they're not going to be using it at all. Oh, really? Sorry, I don't know that story. Okay, well, I should be looking it up. And I, I shouldn't just be, you know, spouting out stuff that I don't know the details of. Um 
Well, while you're doing that, I just want to mention, and I don't want to give away anything that we'll talk about later, but at the end of the book, I've already kind of flipped through this a little bit, you probably have too, Tanya, is that she does have these social justice standards and outcomes for music education by grade level laid out specifically. So this is, you know, under identity, she's got all these anchor standards, but then she talks about it within a musical context, but then she specifically breaks it down K through two, and then three through five. 6 through 8, 9 through 12, and then the music educator outcome, which is also really nice. But um, specifically, if you're talking about, you know... Yeah, I knew that, and I still posed that question. So, no, but that's yes, great. Yes, you're right. Because, I remember this. Because it's really helpful. So, like, I'm looking at the first anchor standard of students and music educators will develop positive social identities based on their participation in and understanding of multiple musical cultures in society. And then specifically the K-2 through outcome is, I know and like different types of music and can talk about the music my family and I listen to and perform. Right. So it's like there's a perfect way of framing it in a way that is totally developmentally appropriate for K-2 through and in a way that, I mean, I'm sorry, if you are a parent or a community member and you argued with that outcome, I would think there's something, you know, really wrong with you. So then it's just a really matter of, you know, us doing our homework as educators and and making sure we're posing questions and providing musical examples in a way that isn't pushing, you know, an agenda. Well, right. And back to, uh, let me go back and correct myself. Okay. So you're right. It was the inauguration poem. Um, And it was very recently that a Florida school said the poem she recited that day was inappropriate for its youngest student, students in elementary school. Um, The the Miami-Dade County School District said that one of its schools, the Bob Graham Education Center in Miami Lakes, Lakes, which educates children from pre-K through eighth grade, had determined that the poem, The Hill We Climb, was more appropriate for middle school students. So, so I'm curious what exactly. I mean, we can post this article and people can read on their own. Well, it's New York Times. So. I mean, there's there's yeah. not there's no question that we're living in a scary time <laughs> where things are getting banned. Books right. are getting and, banned. And living in Colorado is is going to be very different than yeah. like living in Florida. We're not dealing with this at all. Right. However, um, that's yeah. Well, that's a whole other thing. One parent's opinion should not drive a whole edu- a whole district's decision on what should not be used or what should be used. Right. Um, and that's that's a different but podcast. But I really think too, a lot of it is not necessarily what we say; it's the questions we ask. Right. If we're telling students how to think and how to feel, that's that's not the right way to go about this it's about asking them questions and having them discuss with each other and then that's a little less threatening I think to anyone who might be concerned because it's student discussion and yes of course you have to lead it and you have to guide it and you have to rein it in if it goes too far down one path or another right but I think what we can do as educators and we'll we'll dig more into this I'm sure in the last second half of the book when it talks more about the action steps um is about planning really good questions. Right? Yes. Yeah. So um, can we move on to chapter two? Let's. And when we get into some of the history of multiculturalism mm-hmm. and through the decades and something that I kept thinking about when, and that keeps being brought up um, several times, is that as a music educator who was educated, uh, not with multiculturalism in mind 
and through a Eurocentric framework, mm-hmm. like how do we make these changes? Um, and how do we not just learn, but unlearn these structures? I mean, come on, speaking as Kodai people, right? Yeah. That's something that I've had to reframe my Kodai touchstones, mm-hmm. um, not just for me, but also for my level students, because some of the things that we read that came from Kodai were not, they were not gray. They were black and white. Mm-hmm. And we have to put these ideas into context of Kodai's time. And we also have to take these ideas that are the basis of the Kodai philosophy. And we have to say, well, what does that mean in 2023? Mm-hmm. And we're not throwing away the whole idea of Kodai-inspired teaching just because Kodai was trying to promote Hungarian history and, you know, songs and culture with his Hungarian people. Right. Yeah. So it, it was just, you know, another little alarms going off going, okay, well, maybe I'm not the person. Well, I need to be the person to dig in and figure out how do I unlearn some of these things that I continue to gravitate towards as being the most important in my pedagogy in my music classroom. Yeah, well, and I think what struck me reading this chapter, because what she's really doing here is laying out, like, here are the things that are happening in society that are leading to, you know, diversifying the education system, first of all, and then how are those then relating to music education? And then what I was just continuously struck by is how recent, you know, and granted, you know, Tanya and I might be a little older than some of you listening, but how not that long ago, I mean, we're talking about some of these big pushes towards, um, you know, ethnomusicology and world music pedagogy and all of these things really have only happened in the past Thirty, forty years, which maybe sounds like a long time, but not really, considering the fact that <laughs> that's when we were in school, both as children and then into our college years. So, yeah, the fact that these things were still progressive ideas and new ideas, not that, and long that ago. they weren't even presented to us um, authentically. No. I, I feel like by just a little reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Rosa Parks, and I'm looking at page 28 in chapter two, Mm -hmm. is that I remember in elementary school hearing the story of Rosa Parks, and it was presented to me when I was younger as not an organized thing. Well, the... That she was tired and didn't want to get her seat on the bus. And old and didn't want to give her seat up on the bus and that it was a spur of the moment. No, Mm -hmm. I'm going to... You know, stand my ground. Yeah, I'm gonna protest because yeah. I'm tired. No, it was an organized. It was a pre-thought out plan. Mm-hmm. It there was these were action steps, and yeah, that was not n- clear to me and I until I was it's an not, adult. And I still think it's not taught well. I I swear, I was when I was reading that, I was like, I swear, I just recently read or saw a video or something that was like and then rosa parks didn't want to get up you know it's like right. i think it's still being taught that way oh yeah i mean i i can't remember what grade level i was talking to but i was just kind of probing to see mm-hmm. you know um and this was around martin luther king day and mm-hmm. i was asking about rosa parks and gosh I, I wish i could remember what grade level it was but i was like well tell me about rosa parks and that was the same story i got mm-hmm. from the students now is that because they're just summarizing but 
or is what's the messaging that they got behind that? Right. Did they? I don't know. It. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, some of the things that, you know, started to really stick out to me towards the end of chapter two um, is talking about this idea of authenticity of of presenting diverse music to students. And this is something that I think a lot of us, you know, we're, we're conscious of in a good way where we want to make sure that we are giving students the the most authentic version of what we can so anyways I just I highlighted this and I just wanted to read it out loud so this is on page 39 under authenticity Um, our music learning spaces are their own cultures and can be honored in the same way we view cultures out in the world the music we bring to our students becomes hybridized did I say that word correctly with our personal teaching styles physical environments our relationship with students available equipment and those precious teaching minutes Mm -hmm. and that really stuck out to me because I know this is something that we talk a lot about in especially Kodai inspired teaching when we're presenting folk music to children we want to make sure it's authentic we want to make sure it's sourced correctly we want to make sure it's stylistically correct and I'm not saying that this gives us an out but I think it does kind of speak to the natural progression of what happens when music is passed on by teachers in various places for sure. And this is something that I'm just, you know, in my Kodai training and my Kodai tre- teaching that I really stress is, because um, that's funny because I highlighted the same thing, Yeah, um, is that this idea of we want to give it the most authentic version mm-hmm. is that I often preach and practice that if I set up a singing game, if I teach kids a singing game, as soon as they've got it, my job is to step back and mm-hmm. not be a part of it. Right. Because, I, of course, it's in the classroom and I've taught it to them. So already we've lost. It's not as authentic. Mm-hmm. But I want them to find the joy in singing and playing the game and it not being, okay, well, this is something we only do in the music room. Or right. I want them to, as close as we can, get that feeling of we are playing. Yeah. Right. And I think for me, it just reminded me of the importance of not being afraid to pull in music from cultures that are not my own. Because if we're afraid that we're going to, you know, present something and it's not 100% most authentic way, then we're robbing our kids of the experience of experiencing that music. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, you know, there's a fine line. It's not like, oh, we'll just take a song and change it to make it easier for yourself or change the words or sing it in yeah. English instead of its natural language. You know, like that's not what we're saying. But I think it was just an important point that stuck out to me is I think there's balance between those two things. Don't completely avoid it. Do your homework as a teacher. Do your research as a teacher. But just know that things evolve in a natural way as well. Right. And then we're going to get into cultural appropriation because mm-hmm. there's always the risk of, of that mm-hmm. too. Because if we're taking kids from suburban Colorado and we are teaching them um, an African-American street game that originated in the 1960s in New York City, mm-hmm. already you know, there's different... It's, it's totally out of context. Mm-hmm. And um, our kids are going to, they're going to put their own, I don't know, just their, their, their own, 
how they how they assimilate, how they sing it, how they play it, how they do that. They're going to put their own spin of that on that immediately. Right. Right. Yeah. And so how much do we insist that it is and you and I've had this conversation too like when we have these African-American street games that are written out by folk song collectors that include apostrophes for ing and instead mm-hmm. it's just an in with an apostrophe mm-hmm. because it's this different um, pronunciation or different accent right like how much of that should be kept there because it's part of the song it's part of the culture it's how it was sung or is that inappropriate because what it reinforces a stereotype it reinforces a stereotype i Mm -hmm. don't know yeah yeah because you don't want to create a character of 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 a culture you want to experience it there's that sliding glass door piece you want to experience the culture and you want to take part in the musicking. But we don't want to p- try it on for size and wear it like a costume. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, that leads me to this next point that I highlighted. And this goes back to what I was saying about for those of us who work in a predominantly white school. This is on page 43. And it's within the section where she's talking about culturally responsive teaching specifically um, towards the top of the page she said it is crucial for white students to engage in thoughtful experiences in music education that do not reinforce stereotypes or uphold only eurocentric traditions so yeah we don't want to do either of those things we don't want to shy away from doing music of other cultures because we're afraid of it but then the alternative is then we're only emphasizing eurocentric music right and i'm thinking about i mean because it's just easy pickings i'm thinking about um, American choirs mm-hmm. and how they sing a spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. And their approach to approach to that, like what, how we do that authentically without reinforcing the stereotype, mm-hmm. and how do we do it authentically without putting it in a Eurocentric costume because that's the other problem. Well, I mean, you just said that, right? That uh, we don't want to just filter everything through this white Eurocentric filter. And I feel like the multi, quote, multi-education, multicultural education that I received was through that filter, whether it was me or just disseminated that way. I feel like I did not get those um, authentic, that authentic education of other cultures. It was always through, um, you know, a, a white teacher lens. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame my teachers because they were just being taught. They were just teaching how they were taught. Yeah. I don't want to do the same thing. Right. But as a white, middle-aged American woman, what? how do I do that? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess one answer is to bring in culture bearers, right? Right. Yeah. And we've talked about, I mean, that's always something I say I want to do more of, I want to do more of. But, you know, the, the reality is that takes a lot of time and that takes money and mm-hmm. that takes things that aren't readily available to us as public school teachers. And I'm not saying that as an excuse. It's just the reality of. Right. And know. then the other thing is that, you know, I just have to get more educated in specific musics and specific cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, you have to make make some choices is the other thing. Yeah. And then what do you base those choices on? I mean, we can say the identity of the people at your school. Well, Mm -hmm. you and I, now what do we do? (laughs) Yeah. Because... Well, again, I'll find, I'm going to highlight yes. one more thing um, on page 46. This is right towards the end of the chapter. You know, she kind of says her intention of providing these short views of, of all these different learning theories that have surfaced throughout, you know, theories and movements and things, saying that they're not identical theories and they're not presented in a prepackaged curriculum. Exactly. This is not a curriculum you can just pick up and put in there. But it's important that, you know, educators have these frameworks to then, like you said, make decisions. And then specifically, I want to say yet again, yet a common misconception among music educators is that these, these, meaning these theories and movements and frameworks, these do not apply to white people or predominantly white settings. The idea that diversifying music education is good for all students except white students is an impoverished one at best. They benefit from educator students. They benefit all educator students and communities. So, And I think ultimately, and to whatever sound severe i think ultimately not educating our white students is to give this idea that what they are and their culture is not culture Mm -hmm. that they're normal and everything else is different yeah and that upholds the idea of white supremacy yeah is that white culture is the norm culture and anything outside of that is on the side right yeah that's that's a big undercurrent problem that right. I think that we have overall. Um, is, and I know it's within me because because I, I catch that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like this is normal and that's other. And that's that's something that we need to. Well, I think it's just part of our, our the way our human brains are wired, you mm-hmm. know, that, that we realize commonalities within cultural groups and realize differences. So there's something, it's just a natural thing that we do yep. and that children do. So then it's a way of, like we said, presenting it to them in a way that's age appropriate and, and um, developmentally appropriate um, and respectful and encourages dialogue with the kids yeah i think is is the key not saying that i have all the answers but that's kind of where my brain is going do you want to do one of the reflection questions well i feel like we kind of already did number two. Oh, did we so i mean in a way so it says reflection two whether you're a pre-service teacher or employed educator can you describe what learning experiences you participated in related to diversity in music education and I'm going to say pretty much the ones that I have sought out is what I have participated in. The book studies that you and I have done over the years that have focused on diversity and culturally responsive teaching. And we read um, Juliet Hess's book, uh, Music, is it Music Education for Social Justice? Social, yeah, Social uh it's the social, social justice, yeah, I'm going to yes. look it up because I know it's Yeah, and, and it was interesting reading, and I was like, oh, yeah, Juliet Hess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, music Education for Social Change, Constructing an Activist Music Education. We read that within our district. With oh, a, with a, yeah, that's with right. We didn't, study. we didn't read we it didn't for here. We didn't do it for this podcast. I, I was like, we when did, did we read that? Yes. Yeah, so, you know. And, and also you World and I, Music Pedagogy, Volume yeah. 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've taken some World Music Pedagogy coursework a tiny a little bit yes yeah but I mean like we said this isn't something that we got in college this is not something we got as children um as students ourselves 
So, you know, it's it's kind of what we've sought out on our own. But even that, I feel like the music part I'm lacking. I know that at CU Boulder, which is not far from us, that they have the opportunity to do different ensembles and really dig into. Like I know there's an African High Life ensemble. I know there's a gamelan orchestra Mm -hmm. that kids, kids, you know, college College students (laughs) um get involved in Mm -hmm. through their music degree and at my college either one did not have those opportunities uh before I had kids I spent some time drumming um at the Cleo Parker Robinson School of Dance and also dancing and that was just the tip of the iceberg and and I enjoyed playing djembe I enjoyed playing with an ensemble and playing for a dance class and then also dancing was just a wonderful different experience mm-hmm. that was not connected to my music education, my formal music education at all. But beyond that, musically, I feel like I have not experienced. No. And I think that shouldn't we? Right? When you got your music ed degree, you were required to take lessons in an instrument mm-hmm. and participate in an ensemble, right? Right. Did you have African High Life as yeah. a choice for your yeah. ensemble? Our ensembles were How only... about mariachi? Did you play yeah. mariachi anything? No. No, no and yeah, I think, you know, if if you seek out those programs, they do exist. I certainly don't think they're the norm. They are not you know. the norm. But, um, and yeah. then I think the same can be said for high school ensembles. You know, how many high schools offer a non, you know, Western European based ensemble, like you said, a mariachi ensemble. Or well, we do have some here in Denver. Not in our district that well, I know of. No, in DPS. Yeah. yeah, and even the school, the the high school that my school, which was a predominantly Hispanic school, and most schools in that area were the high school that those students went to. There wasn't a mariachi group there either, and, you know. And I'm not faulting the music teacher because he was actually more than full time just teaching the ensembles he was being asked to teach. It's not his fault for not starting it. But at, at what point do we? Yeah, do we say? But those this choices needs to aren't become... going to be there unless we start exactly educating. You know, yeah. the the pre service music teachers not only need to have the choice but also need to be like it needs to be emphasized that you you're going to need more understanding of of more genres and more Mm -hmm. more of that well yeah and I mean a student that I had when my very first job which was in an area just north of Denver um I only had her I think for her fifth or sixth grade year so I can't really take credit for her but um she went to a university here uh, metro a university here in, in well, college here in, no, it's a university. Anyways, yeah, it doesn't are. matter. The point is, um, she was so passionate about mariachi music that she started the mariachi program there oh, at Metro, which is then now trained tons of music teachers to go out and start mariachi programs in their own schools. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, be the change, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if you're passionate about a certain type of music, and I'm saying this to all of us, you know. Yeah, like, it's not too late for us. No, no, we can all learn. But, yeah, so reading this book is a good step. <laughs> yes. But, you know, there's always more to it. Exactly. But I'm excited. What what Have you thought of any other, like, specific questions or, or things that you're hoping to get out well, of this I book mean, besides of course, what we already said? Uh, yeah, it just comes back to, like, how. How, yeah. Which and how. And, you know. And as always, you know, how can we incorporate these ideas into what we're already doing because like you said we don't want to throw it all out there is so much value in 
you know, specifically Konai-inspired music teaching, obviously it's something that's important to us because we do it and we teach it in the summers. And, you know, I feel like it's not separate from what we do. No, and just, we have a big responsibility there yeah. since you and I both teach do teach teachers. Yeah. We need a whole, you know, understanding of how do these Kodai principles fit. Totally. Um, so that's yeah. really important because we do not want to perpetuate having blind sides sure for all that sure yeah well how about this i mean we we try to do this people don't always participate i understand but we'll go ahead and put um one of these reflection questions or a similar reflection question on a on a facebook post and if you want to go ahead that you're out of school i bet you want to (laughs) think deep but no we can but no i'd love to i mean this is is why we do this this. during the summer because now we have some space that we can really dig in and think through these things and how can we really apply them authentically through the school year. Yeah. Right. So if you're not already following us on on Instagram and Facebook, please do. And we'll put some of these reflection, you know, questions out there and we'd love for you to, you know, it's hard to, to put those in a public forum. We know, but you know, we'll learn from one another if we all kind of reflect together. So feel free to add your thoughts. Yes, please. And now it's time for our CODA section, something we are enjoying outside of the classroom. Woohoo! Yeah, because <laughs> we are outside of the classroom. We are. And sometimes we listen to things and read things and watch things. And... Especially now in the summer. Yeah. This is when I catch up on all the stuff I missed. So, so. what's something you're catching up on there, Um, Carrie? I've been listening to music. So, Ooh, um, novel there, idea. I know. So there is a bluegrass festival here in Colorado called Rocky Grass. It's held in Lyons, Colorado, which is um, kind of halfway between Boulder and Estes Park, which is where Rocky Mountain National Park is. Beautiful area of the state. So this is a festival that's super fun. It's very low-key. There's just one stage. It's very family-friendly. And my husband and I went a couple times before children, and my husband's now 14, so it's been that long. Um, Actually, no, after children as well, but we've never brought our children to the festival, although many people do. And this year, we're going back, and we are going to bring our kids with us, and we're going to camp. There's this beautiful campground right on the the river there's a beautiful uh creek or river that runs through and you can tube and then yeah then there's just really great music so that's what i'm getting to um, is that um somebody wonderful put together a spotify playlist with all the bands that are going to be playing at rocket grass so i'm like studying up because you know there's a lot of music that i hadn't heard yet and i've been gravitating towards this group called big richard and they're actually a colorado band a local band and it's cool for Ladies, and I just love female driven bluegrass music because I just love the harmonies. I love when... that they're called Big Richard. Big Richard. They're for women. I know. And they're they're really fantastic. Just a really fun and yeah, beautiful harmonies when they sing and just a fun quartet. So um specifically there's an album on Spotify and it's live from Telluride, the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. Oh. So um yeah, really good band. I'm enjoying them a lot. So and they're local, which is fun. And they're going to be at Rocky Grass, so I'll get to hear them live. Yay. So that's what I've been enjoying. How okay. about you, Tanya? Well, I've been looking for new podcasts to listen to because mm-hmm. I'm cleaning. I'm doing my spring cleaning. Yeah. A little bit. Well, it's still spring. I can. It's technically know. spring. It's technically spring. Yeah. Um, and it just takes me forever to clean the bathrooms because 
because I don't do it not uh, often enough. Anyway, uh-huh. all that aside, and <laughs> is cleaning your recommendation? Is that your coda? Well, for sure. Um, <laughs> go clean the bathroom. Uh, so I I love books, uh, audio books. I've been doing those, but then sometimes you just want a podcast. And I'm a little, you know, I've got a few podcasts that I listen to religiously, but then what? So I was trying to find a new podcast, and I just very recently started listening to a podcast called You're Wrong About. And Mm, it's, and yeah, it's these two journalists. Uh, Mike and Sarah are journalists obsessed with the past. Every week, they reconsider an event, person, or phenomenon that's been miscast in the public imagination. So... I think um, I've listened to this before, actually. Have you? Yeah. So the one I'm listening to, um, that I have been listening to, and this is the very first one I've listened to, too, um, is called, is about Sinead O'Connor. Oh. You know Sinead. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's fascinating because um, one of the podcast hosts is talking to someone who has recently written a book about Sinead O'Connor and why Sinead O'Connor matters, I think is the title. Um, and it's fascinating because I was an early fan of Sinead O'Connor. In 1987 when her first album came out, The Lion and the Cobra, me and my friend Kelly, we were in Kelly's room grooving on that record (laughs) in 1987 Mm -hmm. and so I mean I wouldn't call myself a huge fan but I'm very aware of Sinead O'Connor. I was watching Saturday Night Live when she ripped up the picture of the Pope. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway and you know she was pretty much canceled after yeah. that even before we were calling it canceled yeah um and it's just really i it's it's fascinating to listen to um the things that the general public were not really taking into consideration that at the time the catholic church there was a problem of abusing um youth in the catholic mm-hmm. church but it wasn't it hadn't really hit the United States as a big story mm-hmm. at the time but that was part of Sinead's uh, that was a big part of Sinead O'Connor's protest against the Pope right. anyway and then like the things that happened afterwards and it's just the retrospect look of something that was like an, the assumption is Sinead O'Connor should be cancelled because of XYZ mm-hmm. anyway so I'm interested to uh, dig into some of these other things because um, I just love to hear people talk about that kind of stuff yeah and and, uh i will say the the host she is um much younger than me Mm. because she keeps talking about oh yeah that was back in monoculture when you didn't have choices and like you know you'd turn on the television and you only everyone's watching saturday night live at the same time anyway and and it kind of makes me go oh yeah i've never heard it referred to that way as monoculture no well i I mean it makes sense i understand what she's saying that like everything was mainstream there wasn't a lot of alternatives no and what does this mean it just means i'm old and that's fine (laughs) but you know some of the things well i'm sure you've had this experience or you'll have it more and more things that i take for granted that are common knowledge in my i don't know state country whatever are not because not everybody was around then well this is true like the monoculture bit yeah like my own children are like yeah, my daughter the other day was like, I, I can't watch a TV show. I don't have the patience for... Commercials. No, just watching for something <laughs> that long. Oh, oh. Because... They're so used to short little yeah, videos. Yeah, because of the reels and the videos that all... This is true. That all the kids are doing, that everyone's doing. 
But yet then a Marvel movie comes out and it's like three hours of superheroes. (laughs) Well, and think about, you know, go try to watch a movie from the 1970s or 1980s right now. You'll see that it feels like it moves so slow. slow. Right? That's why they had intermissions back then. No. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I saw E.T. with no intermission. No, I know, I know. You know, I... talk about really old movies, but yeah. (laughs) And forget about a double feature. Well, I mean, yeah, my anyway, I, I think it's very interesting, our collective attention. and uh, Well, this is true. That's a whole that's a whole story for another day. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm okay. digging into that. You're wrong about. You're wrong about. Cool. Yeah. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteacherCoffeeTalkPodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be discussing chapters three and four of Realizing Diversity by Karen Howard. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.